You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs, the show that discusses hearing technology, best practices, and a growing national epidemic, hearing loss. On this episode, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Caroline Leaf to the show. Dr. Leaf, welcome to the Hearing Matters podcast. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be on the show with you. I love what you do and I really can relate. We have similar backgrounds and it's just exciting. Dr. Leaf, you recently just released what I would consider one of the top mental health books to be released. But before we get into your newest release, can you please share a little bit of your background with our listeners? Absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that about the book. And I have such a passion for this, having watched what's been happening over the last 38 years that I've been in the field. So I initially trained as a communication pathologist and audiologist, so a similar background to you and your, and your father. Um, and then I, I, read, I was doing a degree where I also did medicine, and part of it was medicine and neuropsychology and neuroscience. And that was all very, neuroscience was all very much in its infancy. And at that stage, and I remember one of my neuroscience lecturers saying, the brain can't change. So once there's been some sort of damage or traumatic brain injury or learning disability or major trauma, that is it. You just have to teach your patients to compensate. And that immediately grabbed my attention. I remember saying to the professor, I don't think that's right because our mind is always changing. We're always experiencing our life through our mind because back then in the 40s, the mind was seen as separate from the brain, which it actually is. Then this fast forward to 40 years later, the reductionistic model, biomedical model has reduced the mind into the brain. So it's literally like the mind and the brain are the same thing and that the brain is the most important thing and it produces the mind, which is is totally wrong as well. So, and that's created a whole lot of other problems. But back then, they believed in the separation of mind and brain, but they didn't believe the brain could change neuroplasticity. So I challenged that and I did some of my early research and one of the professors said, well, that's a ridiculous question. And I said, well, let's see how ridiculous it is. I did a TED talk on this and I started working with traumatic brain injury, which as you may not know, is that back in the 80s, there was very little work done on research done on traumatic brain injury because it was considered, well, damage, what can you do kind of thing. They also had a lot of issues with hearing and from the damage. And, you know, there was a lot of major implications. So I worked with that group and I initially, one of my first research studies was with a traumatic brain injured patient who had had a car accident at the age of 16, was with her peer group, was in, she was supposed to be going into her 11th grade. She was in a coma for more than two weeks. At that stage, if you were in a coma for longer than eight months, eight hours, it was considered irreversible. So she had been pretty much written off by her doctors. Long story short, the parents did not give up. She came out of her coma. They contacted me. I worked with her for eight months. It was very new research. I was a very young, new researcher, new scientist, just had opened my private practice. And um, they, this person, they, they were just prepared to try anything to help their daughter. And so we dived in and I had been developing a set of mind-directed um, systems to that I believed if you deliberately and consciously used your mind in a very specific way, in a very organized and ordered way, that you could then also change your mind. You can use your mind to drive your mind and drive neuroplasticity. 
And I did some of the earliest neuroplasticity research back in the late 80s, early 90s. And this particular subject, just to finish her story, she used these systems and not she was on a sort of second grade level when I started working with her because that's how much skill she had lost and how much damage to her brain. And she wanted to finish school with her peer group, which was pretty much an impossible thing to do. But she did it. Within eight months, this young girl finished school with her peer group, went on to get a university degree. And I think one of the most exciting things is that she was a very average student prior to the accident with a lot of emotional issues. And she, especially math was a huge problem for her. After the accident, using these mind-directed systems that I had been developing, she became a math genius. So she finished school, had lost eight months of school, finished school as a math genius with incredible grades and went on to get degrees and became, and yes, there were emotional issues because of all the trauma, but she was managing her emotional issues. So she became this like amazing person, you know, even more together than she was before her accident. And, you know, that just spurred years of research where I was in apartheid South Africa at that stage. I went through the pre-apartheid, the transition, the post-apartheid. So I chose to spend a lot of my time working in those very, uh, very damaged communities from every aspect, politically, so economically, emotionally, educationally. And that taught me so much. I did so much work then, so much research, so much uh, to, to find out and understand what is the mind, what are thoughts, what are memories, what is the impact of trauma on us? What can we do about it? Do we have any kind of autonomy when we have trauma to our mind and to our brain and to our body? And I worked in different communities. I worked in Water in Rwanda. I worked with autism, dementias, learning disabilities, the populations, a lot of the populations you work with as well. I also worked with, saw, saw this working so well with, with populations requiring very strong therapeutic intervention that I decided to apply this in my own life, um, working just in general with people in general, because everyone's got a mind, everyone has a brain, and all of us, our mind never stops working. So I then applied it in government, education, corporate, you name it. And fast forward to today, I still do clinical trials. I've written many books. I do a lot of, still do a lot of research, still doing research. And my most recent book that you mentioned is a kind of compilation of all of this simplified into a very user-friendly version of the system that was initially a very therapeutically developed system, but simplified and applied clinically and scientifically and with all different populations, as I've said, into something that anyone can use at any age. My youngest patient has been three. I have four adult children. They've all been trained in the system. We've reached hundreds of thousands, millions actually around the world now with this system. So I decided to write this book with the most updated version, with the most simplified version, with some clinical trials and just putting it into the context of the current mental health system that has been so incredibly damaging and has created so many problems. So that's kind of a big story and then we can unpack some detail. Well, I have to say your background and what you have accomplished, number one, you have helped millions of individuals on the road to better mental and brain health. And when you were talking and just listening to your newest book titled Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking, I kept thinking to myself, there's a quote that I heard when I was in high school, and it said, if you train the mind, the body will follow. It didn't say if you train the brain, the body will follow. It said if you train the mind, the body will follow. Now, Dr. Leaf, there is absolutely a difference between the brain and the mind. So for our listeners tuned in right now, what is that difference between the physical brain and what we call the mind? 
I'm so glad you asked that question. And it's probably one of the most important questions and, and something that's kind of hard to process because the narrative today, as you already mentioned, is that brain and mind are the same thing. And that's how people tell my mind, my brain, but they're not. They are so totally different. So for those of you, you've got viewers and listeners. So I assume, so I'm going to show some props and I'll describe them for I'll describe them for the listeners. I'm holding up two props here. The one is a brain and a skull. It's not a real one. Um, it's just a model. And then I'm holding up a model of the body. So for those of you that can see, if those that can't see, it's just you can even look at your own body. So to understand the, the brain and the mind difference is. Let's take a quick break. Running a private practice is challenging, and it's especially difficult if you're using a management software system that's out of date or doesn't really fit your needs. As a former private practice owner, I personally found Cycle to be such an incredible tool that is easy to use and is really in the best interest of my patients. Cycle provides you with industry-specific workflows and features for a smooth running front office, and if you've been listening to the Hearing Matters podcast, you will know that I believe that the front office staff is really the most important position in a hearing care clinic. Learn more at cycle.com. That's S-Y-C-L-E.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. You can see yourself physically. That is your body and you know your brains in your skull. And we know we can look at the brain. We know we can crack open the skull and we can look at the brain. And we can look at it with other technology without being so violent. So we know it exists. But this is only about 1% to 10% of who you are as a person. Because the difference between you and I having this conversation and the listeners and viewers watching and, and listening is our aliveness. A dead person could not participate in this conversation. So the difference between us and a dead person is our mind, which is our aliveness. So mind is everything except the brain and the body. It's everything. It's it's all of us. It's, it's the uniqueness of who you are, the fact that you can think and feel and choose in response to life, the fact that you can experience life and process life and respond to life. That is mind. Mind is much bigger than what we actually even have begun to to talk about. And funny that the ancients always spoke about it like this. So, and and the last 150 years of, of scientific research, as we've developed in the scientific method, there have been two schools of thought. But there's a very strong body of very solid scientific evidence for the mind-brain separation and mind-brain integration. In fact, the research is more um, less biased and more accurate than the current research that's that talks about the brain producing your mind. So a lot of the current studies will get people to do things. Then they'll look at using fMRI or QEEG, normally fMRIs, to see the response, to see what the brain is doing. Now, they get the person to do something, hear the logic, and then the brain responds. But they don't see it like that. They say the brain is producing what the person is doing. So they sing it from the wrong angle. Because if you're dead, your brain can't do anything. The fact that your brain is responding in an fMRI or a QEEG, the fact that your heart responds to an EKG, the fact that if you do the audiological testing, that there is a response. That is mind. Because if you're dead, you can stick all the audio equipment on a person and test for it, nothing's going to happen. So the fact that something's happening, yes, sure, there's damage to certain parts of the, the brain and there's certain parts of the auditory system and so on, but it's, there's still a mind component there that is driving, it's the life force. And so I like to explain mind as that, as this life force. Now, if we look at it on two aspects, I'm holding up the model again. If we imagine that the mind is like a cloud of gravitational fields around you, so just imagine that there's a cloud around you, 
it's not that complicated to understand. If you think of the fact that none of us are floating, we're sitting because of gravity, and we understand that we'll have gravitational fields. Well, what Nobel Prize winning scientists have discovered is that not only do we live in gravitational fields, but we have gravitational fields all around our body, unique to each of us. And they're not just around our body, they're in our body. And they're these electromagnetic gravitational fields. And there's a unique sort of component of these around and through the body. And that's what's not there when someone is dead. And that's what we are picking up and working on when we are talking about mind. So if you just fast forward to your field where you're trying to help someone who has a hearing impairment from whatever it may be, whether it's genetic or whether it's an accident or whether it's some kind of noise and whatever the cause is, that's that yes, the equipment is not working like it should, but there's still the mind factor that's that you've got to work on to even get the hearing aid to work, just to train a person to use hearing aids, just to train. You know, I remember when I was trained, I mean I haven't practiced an audio as an audiologist and my training was so many years ago, but I do remember the mind was completely involved in the whole process. So that's mind is that. Mind is this this electromagnetic force. Another way of thinking of mind is is on a psychological level, and that's the ability to think and feel and choose. So you can see I've got three fingers that I'm holding up. As you think, you feel. As you think and feel, you choose. So mind is these three things. They never separated. Mind is thinking. When you think, you'll feel. When you think and feel, you'll choose. So it's thinking, feeling, and choosing. Right now, at around about 400 billion actions per second, or even faster, everyone that's listening and watching are receiving my words and your words as electromagnetic light fields, auditory sound waves, etc. And they are on a psychological level, they are thinking, feeling and choosing at 400 billion actions per second. So there's this whole big thing going on here. On a physics level, there's a lot of action inside the gravitational fields because there's all these new impulses coming in, these photons and auditory sound waves, and they're being processed and directed through the brain and the body, and the brain and the body are responding. Brain first and then body pretty fast after that. Because And how does the brain respond? All of your listeners and yourself have had enough training to know that the brain will then respond on an electromagnetic, uh, electromagnetic electrochemical, and genetic level. So the, the energy wave going through creates a response. All the systems and the different parts of the brain respond. There's the genetic response, and amino acids are made. Proteins, are, they group into proteins and tree-like structures grow on the neurons. So basically what we're doing is we're growing a thought. So thoughts look like trees. I mean, we know the neurons look like trees in the brain. And, as, as, and that's what a thought is. So mind has a product and that product has weight, physical weight, and that product is a thought. And thoughts look like trees. So I always like to use the analogy of trees. So for the listeners, I'm holding up a little tree in a pot, which obviously has roots embedded in the pot and it's a little green tree. And it's a green tree made of branches. So just like a tree is made of roots, branches, and thought branch, branches above the ground, a thought is also made of branches, root memories, root memory branches, and then the, the, the interpretation branches. So thought is made of memories. So people also use thoughts and memories interchangeably, so it's the same thing, but it's not. We think, feel, and choose to build a product, which is a thought, and the thought houses what the experience was. What what were we thinking, feeling, and choosing about? At the moment, we are discussing brain health, mental health, as it relates to um, just life and hearing and whatever, people, general. 
so that this tree could be called mental health. And everything that I'm saying and everything you're asking me and our discussion back and forth, that would be the roots because that's the source of this discussion. Then the branch memories would be the interpretation that each person who's listening and watching is making about this. So the thoughts, feelings and choices of what they are hearing. Now, that's what we're doing all day long. As soon as we wake up, we are converting every experience we have into products made of amino acids and, and which group to pro form proteins. The proteins vibrate and they have weight. So thoughts are physical substance that actually have weight. So if someone's dead, the weight goes. This particular level of weight will change because the thoughts, that energy source, the vibrations in the, in the protein branches are no longer there, keeping this alive. So the, this, these are very real. They have real substance. I mean, we look at a thought like that, it's very different to just thinking it's some, you know, using words interchangeably and throwing out the word thoughts and emotions and, and depression. It all becomes a big mix in the pot. You know, if we define it and simplify it to, okay, I'm a human, I'm in life, I wake up in the morning, I ex and from the time I wake till the time I sleep, I will be experiencing life through my mind. And my mind is working all around and through my brain and my body. So everything from reading the text, the emails, the discussions, the conversations, the exercise, the eating, all of that is being processed into the brain as these thought trees. And at nighttime, your mind is sorting out what you built during the day. So your mind is always active. It's active 24-7. You can go three weeks without food. You can go three minutes without oxygen. You can go three um, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you don't even go three seconds without uh, thinking. So your mind is always in action and it's always making products. And sometimes the products are toxic. So here's my famous toxic tree. So here's another tree. I'm holding up a wiry, toxic looking tree for the listeners, which also has a root system and branches. So the roots would be the source. Once again, like the healthy tree, the source of this discussion, it's a healthy discussion. So there's the roots and the source are this healthy information. This is a toxic tree. So the source or the roots would be toxic. So this could be an abuse or some sort of trauma or the experience of the pandemic or whatever. And that then is the source. And then the branches are your interpretation, your thoughts, feelings, and choices, you know, the facts, and et cetera, the whole, the, the whole structure of memory um, of how you see that. So this could be sexual abuse, shame, can't form relationships, not um, able to be stable, whatever. And then that then produces a signal, a warning signal, because this is toxic to the brain and the body of things like depression, anxiety, et cetera. So when you look at it like that, the mind-brain separation like that and thoughts and memories, what you now see is that you have a whole different narrative for mental health. When someone is depressed, it's not a disease of the brain. You're not a broken brain. It's not a neuropsychiatric brain disease. It's not a chemical imbalance, which is imbalance, which is a complete myth, not even a scientific fact, not even something people should be speaking about. No scientist worth a grain of salt will speak about it. It's a great marketing tool, but it's not the facts. What we're seeing when someone has depression is we're seeing cues or clues or warning signals or symptoms, all the same kind of thing, telling you that something's wrong. And just to kind of bring this point together, if we think of the COVID virus, we all understand it's a protein structure that has substance and weight and it gets into our body and affects us and our immune system responds to fight it. That's a logical thing. We all know about that very well, having gone through this pandemic or going through this pandemic. 
but no one realizes that thoughts are exactly the same. Toxic thoughts are like a virus. Toxic thoughts are made of protein. The COVID virus is made of protein. Toxic thoughts Toxic thoughts have proteins that are misfolded. Misfolded proteins create an imbalance of chemicals and inflammation. So the immune system sees this as much of a threat as it does a COVID virus. So, and you know, the big traumas that we suppress, this is put your brain and body's immune system into a constant state of fight and, and trying to fight this. So that's why we get inflammation. And the more inflammation, the more vulnerability to disease, you know, in the environment of our brain and our body. So the whole narrative of mental health needs to not be one of these, a pandemic of mental health and it's an illness. That's completely wrong. Humans have always battled with their mind. If you human, you have a mental mess. You cannot get away from it because life is messy. And our messy mind is experimenting on the front line, trying to just get through life. So we make mess and we explore and we change and we fix and we repair and we grow. So we have a messy mind and a wise mind. And when we work with messy mind and wise mind together, we can then be more successfully navigating life. But if we just function in a messy mind, battle, get the depression, and then instead of processing, get told it's clinical depression, that the mental has been subsumed into the physical, the mental's 99%, it's been subsumed into the 1%, that model doesn't work for the mental. So we're using a model that works for the biology of the, the neurobiology and the biology of the body, but it doesn't work for the mental. It doesn't also work at work on the integration between the two. So that has created a massive problem. And I talk about that in the book as well, but that's a long answer. And I don't know if you'd like to unpack anything there in more detail or before I dive into another hole, I can just keep talking as you can see. Dr. Leaf, you and me both. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Well, I I just want to bring it up. So what's really interesting is that we know that cognitive decline or dementia of the Alzheimer's type is a comorbidity linked to untreated hearing loss. In fact, individuals with severe hearing loss are five times more likely to experience cognitive decline. And Johns Um. Hopkins, they conducted a wonderful study to display that this actually does and can happen. Now, what's interesting is in the material and in the journal itself, they have a a, a beautiful plant that's green. And then like you were showing a withering plant, oh my gosh. the exact, and I'll send you the article, Dr. Leaf, but they use the Wonderful. same imagery. They yeah. use that wow. same imagery imagery. Fantastic. Now, absolutely. And there were so many, so many questions I had, but I want to bring it to, you know, the quantum physics aspect of all of this. Now I am not a quantum physicist. However, I started studying personal development and how the mind works when I was about 22, 23 years young and reading Think and Grow Rich and listening to Earl Nightingale and talking about how we can train our mind. Now, there is that magnetic field around us. And we're so excited to have you on the show today because a lot of our listeners are private practice clinicians, audiologists, healthcare professionals, students, future and current hearing aid users. And we know that we are currently going through a very rough time now following a global pandemic. So between your over 40 years of experience in this space, talking about the mind and talking about how we can work out our anxieties and that depression. And you have this, this term called neurocycling. So with that quantum physics, we have that magnetic field around us and what we think about and bring about will come about, right? And can you kind of just expand on the quantum physics aspect of the mind. You know, we become what we think about most. And in your book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, you quoted Earl Nightingale, who said, don't think about what it is you worry about because worry brings fear 
and fear is crippling. You raise so many incredible points and you and I could talk about for 20 hours, I think, about this because when I find <laughs> someone who's interested in these things, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's an area, we, what we're talking about now is an area that's not even new science. This is such, this is such ancient science. And I, and I know I've mentioned the word ancient before, but honestly, this understanding, the pre-understanding, a lot of the concepts of mind and the impact of mind have not, this is not something new to be spoken about. Then if you track back 150 years, I keep talking about the 150 years of research, there is some phenomenal research on mind and brain showing this impact. In the current language of science, there's a, in the one sort of branch or philosophy of science, there is this concept that consciousness is the hard question of science. And you may have heard of that when people talk about stream of consciousness and, and they talk about it as though it's just something that's it's so difficult to understand will never understand. That's the impression that is given. But it's not like that. And that has kept people in the dark when it comes to the truth about a mind and, and brain. And that's where quantum physics is so phenomenally powerful because it's considered the most fundamental and accurate of sciences. It's the foundation of every single science that we have out there. It's the foundation of, of audiology. It's the foundation of every single science we have out there. So you get quantum physics and you get classical physics and the two parts make up the whole. And we have an overemphasis on classical physics in the current era. And it's been for about sort of 40 to 50 to 60 years. And we have an underemphasis on quantum physics and it's been kind of pushed out to the woo-woo side. But if you actually look and compare at, and look at the scientific documents and data, you will see if quantum physics data is actually more accurate than a lot of the pure physics. And they draw on principles and the really good scientists that are absolutely out there at the head of their field always consider quantum physics to be a very important factor because you we do know there's a subatomic level. So it's not... You cannot, it's what you see, touch, feel, and hear is not what it's all about. So coming back to what this means in terms of mind, mind uh, is not the hard question. I've always challenged that. It's not the hard question. It's the most important question of science because it drives everything. As I said quite clearly, the difference between brain and mind is aliveness. So mind is aliveness. So the fact that you're alive, you're experiencing mind. So it's not a hard question. What are you experiencing? You know, if we looked at it from that angle, we're asking the wrong questions. If we ask the, the right questions, if I can actually sit there and say, I have no free will. I've used my mind to make a choice to say I have no free will. And then it contradicts what I'm saying, but I've just used my mind to do that. The fact that you and I are having this discussion, we're using our mind. The listeners are using their mind to process that. We're having a deep discussion that could go down an incredibly deep route and our wise minds are operating at the moment, which every human has. We have at the core of our survival and quantum physics has shown this so clearly that at the core of, of humanity is this very strong survival instinct, which is not just what we're talking about, that amygdala, fright and flight, that very basic, that's just one level of it. I'm talking about the core need of humanity for experiencing survival and love. And I mean, I like to talk about it as wise mind. And we are operating in that now. Another example of that would be the desire to help someone and give someone advice and someone comes to you for advice and you and you reach out and help them. That's coming from the wise mind. That ability that what you're trying to do, you're trying to help others. That's wise mind. There's this natural instinct to reach out and, and be part of community. Christopher Fox is one of the sort of, it's, he's kind of, I think I call him sort of the godfather of theoretical quantum physics. And he talks about 
um, the fact that it's not about you, it's about you in the world. You'll see I quote him quite a bit in my work. And he talks about as well that quantum physics is the theory of thought. It is. It explains thought. And, and we know people, there's some incredible quantum physicists that I quote in the book as well. And we won't go into this in too much detail because I could talk about this for 100 hours. But basically that you... <laughs> that humans are um, the, the the pinnacle of quantum physics because humans with our ability to think and feel and choose actually create changes in, in physical matter. Um, and we change, so as we think, feel and choose with this quantum force, um, we are changing the structure of the brain. And the brain's always changing because the mind's always changing. And then with these thoughts that we build, we create. What do we create? Everything around you. The Zoom technology was created by mind. Some brilliant minds thought about this thought, felt, and chose, built the thought and developed the technology. Everything around you, cars, buildings, architecture, paintings, art, everything that we have around you, just look around you where you are at the moment. This is all a product of thoughts and humans, human minds. We're brilliant. And quantum physics is explaining how we use our mind to collapse ideas into these physical structures and the mysteries in that, that electromagnetic quantum field connecting with the physical brain using the beautiful structure of the brain to create a, a format, a structure that we are able to then drive the body and then express ourselves as humans. And that's what I've been studying all these years. And that's what I'm trying to make very accessible to humans to understand, hey, listen, this is your mind. This is the power it has. Now, I'm not talking about things like the secret that says you can attract whatever you think about, you can just attract it to you. That's not what we're talking about. That is, um, that's an, almost, I would say, an insult to quantum physics and to the human in mind because it's not it's not dealing with the solid core of who we are whatever you think about the most will grow but you're not going to just think i want that car and it's going to come to you it doesn't work like that out of it's nowhere right exactly it's like, it's <laughs> you like, have to put in the work <laughs> you have to put in the work and it's like it's like positive affirmations you can say 20 positive affirmations but if you haven't dealt with the issue those are just band-aids on a on a bullet wound as one of my good friends says people say when i think it what are they thinking thinking is a process so what they what they're actually doing is they're actually setting i'm um, thinking of they're taking an affirmation i want that car or I want that life but there's no it's like it's one singular um, little thought tree that's got like what's some certain connotation so they've put that there's an external goal and they're thinking well if I just say that over and over it's going to actually then create this magnetic effect and draw to me, which is completely and utterly wrong. What you're doing there is you're going to create tremendous frustration and cognitive dissonance in your brain because you can't bring an external to the internal because it's internal out. Everything is from the internal out. And in our current modern era and wellness movement and so on, there's so much good, but there's also so much of this, well, that's what you have to do. That's the external goal. And it's taken away the depth of, of, of humanity. We have to be thought detectives. We have to decide if that is what we desire, why? What is that for? Is that going to be for the betterment of you, for the betterment of humanity? You know, is that just a selfish goal because that goes against your wired for love nature? Just as much as the COVID virus will threaten you, having this goal of I've got to have that money, I've got to have that richness or rich, that kind of wealth equates success is toxic because that's not a reality. You know, if that is, if you happen to get to the point, I don't anti-wealth or anything, but if you are getting there with that's your life goal, it will become toxic. But if you get there through doing what you do, that's a whole different story. So we need to become thought detectors and a lot deeper and look at the impact that our thoughts have because that kind of toxic thinking is a distortion and will create a toxic tree in the brain, which will increase inflammation in the brain, will increase frustration. And that's why it doesn't really work very well. And it goes down the road of people will 
you know, the criticism of, the, of things like the secret is, well, people in the genocide, did they track that? You know, you can't, you can't even go, it, it's just so distorted. So what we have to look at is humanity, life. It's tough. Things happen every, from the beginning of mankind, whenever that was, to where we're at now, man has battled with life. Every generation has got some issue. We've got the pandemic. There's been World War II, World War One, the Spanish flu. Every generation, every year, there's something more weak. It's just being a human alive. We have to deal with what we're dealing with in, in each stage of our life. So every human, 100% of people battle with depression, 100% of people battle with anxiety, panic attacks, um, even sometimes disassociation, um, hallucinations, obviously with varying degrees. And that may sound very extreme, but because of the today's narrative, we've been made to think those are brain illnesses. What I'm saying is throw that narrative completely out the door and see yourself as a human in life with your experiences. And your experiences, some are adverse and adverse create this. And this is a threat to your survival. Therefore, you need to be a thought detective. And that's where the neurocycle comes in and read the clues, the cues, and then embrace process and reconceptualize it into this kind of into this kind of pattern so that you can actually manage the process of um, how you're going to live in the future with this concept. So you don't want to keep this. You don't want to suppress this because this is alive and volcanic. And I'm talking about the toxic tree, whether it's the abuse, whether it's the bullying, whether it's the politics that you've absorbed and become completely consumed with, whatever it is, the grief, the loss, the financial, the difficult family member, whatever it is, you have to embrace process and reconceptualize. And part of that reconceptualizing is that you may, you can't change other people and you can't control events and circumstances. The only thing you can do is train yourself to become less reactive and more responsive. And responsive means that I can take this, reconceptualize it into this tree. And if you look into the healthy tree, and for those of you that are listening, I'm holding up the green tree again, and part of it's dark and the ends are light. I don't know if you can see that. This was done on purpose. The light parts would represent the toxic issue that you are changing, that whatever's happened has happened, but you can change how it plays out into your future. So that the light, this is in the green tree now, it's no longer in a toxic state because it no longer controls you. You've accepted that and now you're making it work for you in a way that, that okay, I had that abuse. I understand where it comes from. It was absolutely terrible. I release myself from that perpetrator. Um, I do want to have decent relationships. I don't want to see myself as shame um, and so on. And so the, the dark green trees are all this discussion I'm having now. It's how you're going to start slowly rebuilding the pieces of your life. And that process of, of going from these signals and embracing processing and reconceptualizing to this is a process of that takes cycles of 63 days. You know, you know yes. what the work you do, it doesn't, things don't, it doesn't take a, a patient 24 hours to get used to hearing aids. And in fact, I bet you if you tracked it, it would take them a full nine weeks before there's a decent mind, brain, um, so the auditory and the mind balance between, um, in, in terms of being able to use it effectively, because at first it's just a lot of, you know, amplified noise and it's confusing. So there are exactly. cycles of, of the 63 days. And to dovetail off what you're saying, Dr. Leaf, with regard to training the mind and this concept and this proven system that you implement with your patients called neurocycling, especially in today's day and age, a lot of us and many of us, if not all of us, are essentially a bundle of nerves. 2020 was a year I think we will never forget. Never. I know a lot of us want to, but it was a very <laughs> difficult year for many of us. And 
when we talk about mental health, there needs to be more of an awareness of mental health and your work, what you are doing, because you're going down to the root cause. And the work that we're doing on a daily basis with our patients is individuals who do present with untreated hearing loss are at an increased risk of cognitive decline, Absolutely. anxiety, depression, cardiovascular disease. But individuals who don't present with hearing loss, who have normal hearing, are also at an exactly. increased risk exactly. of anxiety, depression, cardiovascular disease. Just reading your newest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, you were stating that Toxic stress is the cause of 90% of illness. And for our clinicians listening right now, understanding this Mm -hmm. and understanding the work and research you've conducted, when a patient comes to you to work with you, I think having a deeper understanding of, you know, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. And I don't know what this patient has been through. If they do present with untreated hearing loss, they may be experiencing increased anxiety, depression, potential cardiovascular, social withdrawal but also understanding that there might be something deeper. So, and what we found, Dr. Leaf, is that following a successful hearing aid fitting with proper best practices and best practices being implemented, patients have increased expressive and receptive language. Um, They've reported decreased anxiety and depression. Um, There's been decrease in listening effort. So again, this show is really for everybody who may be battling with anxiety and depression, and especially for business owners and uh, our current patients, what are some strategies with this neurocycling? Again, I'd encourage everyone to purchase your book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, to implement neurocycling. But I wanted to bring that that together in terms of that untreated hearing loss. But even individuals with normal hearing are experiencing these things. I love how you explained that. Um, and if I could just also you know, bounce off what you said there, if you're human, you're battling with mental health. So the one in four statistic of depression increasing and one in five in the clinical anxiety are wrong statistics. They just make people scared and they're actually completely wrong. It's 100% of people are battling with depression. 100% of people are battling with anxiety. And I said this earlier on. In other words, whether you're the clinician the audiologist, the clinician, the therapist, or whether you are the patient or whether you're just the mom, the dad, you're a human, you're battling. And that's what we have to do. First of all, it's all of us are battling. It doesn't matter what you are, what your profession and is, is we're battling. That's the first thing. Then we can obviously look at the additional parameters of or variables of the fact that someone with a hearing loss, it's incredibly distressing not to be able to understand or hear or follow. I mean, we, we know that. And then that anxiety, because it's 99% of your mind, can increase inflammation and increase hearing loss and increase increase the time it takes for them to adapt. So if there was already anxiety, just normal life anxiety, which is just adverse circumstances, and then you have a hearing loss on top of it, it's a it's double trouble. So it's vital. I'm so glad that you you approach this um, your, with your help your patients with anxiety and, and stuff as well. It's vital. So thank that, you so much, Doctor. No, it's vital. It's just a component you cannot exclude from the from the equation. So neurocycling is for everyone. Neurocycling, the reason I wrote this book, the reason I've done this research, the reason I moved out to 25 years of my, I ran my practice for 25 years. I've been doing research for 38. Almost 20 years of those I did in the field. So I don't do lab research. I go into the field and I gain experience. And then I bring that back to the table and do 
um, real life research. And I do that because I think it's more valid when you talk about mind. We have to we have to look at humanity. We have to look at what humanity is doing, as I said earlier. So essentially, the neurocycle was birthed 38 years ago with people with traumatic brain injuries, dementia, Alzheimer's, or hearing loss. Um, the, in fact, the one chapter in here called Brain Building, I used to use with my patients with hearing loss because a lot of my dementia patients, Alzheimer's patients, Parkinson's patients, even some of my patients with cerebral palsy, learning disabilities had hearing losses. So I was working with a lot of patients who also had hearing aids. And I mean, we're talking 30 years ago, so the advances now are unbelievable. Um, yes. So, but you know, so there's, and so then you can imagine would have been much more difficult. I have never excluded mental health work from intellectual work, from basic helping someone here work to basic so we've got to blend it all together and see it as components but see it as a whole system we are and that's where quantum theory comes in because it's a systems approach to everything it's not looking neuroscience on its own looks at the amygdala the prefrontal cortex that's a terrible way of looking at things because they can't do anything they're waiting for the mind to actually activate them as a whole system and so that's what we want to look at the whole process of how human functions. So the neurocycle of taking all this whole systems approach into consideration was birthed 38 years ago as a deep therapeutic tool. I first developed a theory called the geodesic information processing theory. I've got journal peer review, journal articles on it. People can go to my webpage. We're updating at the moment. And from there, I developed, as I said, I adapted it to the everyday because I thought, hey, this is something I can use just to help my own mental health. So parallel to the therapeutic application I was developing. So I'm just saying it to say that it, even though the steps are simple, you don't skip a step, you don't jump through a step. And you also recommend that people just understand these steps are heavily scientific. So I've tried to work out like um, the science of thought. My objective has been what is mind? What is brain? What's the relationship? How do we get the mind to work with the brain? What control do we have over that? What is the thought as a product of mind? What are the memories which are inside the thoughts? What are the emotions which are part of these memories? And you know, what are what are the different types of memories and what are the different types of emotions? So I've been doing that's what I've been trying to put together into the neurocycle. So the principles of the neurocycle, a neuro being brain cycle, you're moving through, you're driving your, you're directing neuroplasticity. So it's a mind directed technique that is directing the neuroplasticity of your brain. Now, every experience you had, as I mentioned already, that from the time you open your eyes till the time you go to sleep, everything you experience is converted by your mind into physical substance in your brain, neuroplasticity, these thought trees with their memories. And this has been happening since a certain point in the womb. So in our non-conscious mind, which is the biggest part of our mind, which operates 24-7 with quantum principles, is where all we, we've got all these wavy forests of trillions upon trillions of thoughts. So in the mind area, in the gravitational fields of the mind, we have all these trillions of thoughts. In the brain, which is the second place, our thoughts and memories with, with their memories are represented are physical trees in the brain. So in the brain, our thoughts look like trees. In our mind, they look like gravitational fields that are like the groups of gravitational fields. So like if you look at EEG, for example, you can see little clusters of, of energy. Think of it kind of like that, just to give people a visual. So you've got these little clusters of energy, which are little memories. And then also in the DNA of our body. So it's a holistic experience. So someone with PTSD, for example, which is some, which like someone who has maybe a war trauma, they've got a noise-induced hearing loss, so they've got a combination of um, a, you know comorbidity of the trauma, which has had, and and the, then the hearing, the physical effects of hearing loss, 
and potential other issues too. Um, you put that package together, you've got a very traumatized person because the entire body has experienced it. So when they recall or triggered, it's the whole, the mind ex- activates first. So um, the whole experience is in its full 3Ds experience. And then it comes, then the thoughts from your brain of, of coming into consciousness, so details start coming up and then the physical sensations in the body start coming up. So it's a whole, so when you work with someone, you have to consider all those aspects of a person. So the neurocycle doesn't replace therapy. I encourage people to still go to therapy. What it does is it enhances the therapeutic process. But you're going to therapy once or twice a week. You're living with yourself 24-7. So I, my, my objective was, okay, I can help a patient once a week, but what do they do when they're not with me? How do I create a sustainability here that a person can, can um, to a large extent, able to, is able to manage themselves? Because you're living with yourself. So when you're sitting there at night and you can't sleep, and, and you've got your minds ruminating and you are freaking out and having a panic attack. What do you do? Or you're in a business meeting and someone really says something incredibly underhand and it just throws you. How do you get yourself together that you can keep your wisdom going in that meeting? Or you um, have a major family crisis and you still got to function. What do you do? Or you now are triggered by a trauma from childhood that you never dealt with. How do you manage that? So the neurocycle is the tool for doing that. So it's not a technique. It doesn't replace therapy. It's not a new system. You can still use CBT and psychoanalysis principles. I mean, you can use these wellness techniques. There's a million techniques out there. I'm not saying throw those out the door. I'm just saying use them properly because if you use them randomly and in a very, like a bit of meditation, a bit of this, a bit of meditation, lots of research has been showing for a long time. It's now becoming very evident. It's dangerous used in a very reductionistic way, which is how it's often used. Just be mindful is not enough. It's dangerous. You can be mindful bring up stuff and what do you do as a trauma you can collapse you can fall apart you have to have a system in place so this is beyond mindfulness this incorporates mindfulness because you've got to be aware before you can do anything neuroscience shows us that as soon as you're aware of something i'm now bringing the toxic tree um, it's hidden and now i'm bringing it up into the into the camera view so it's come from being hidden to now i'm aware of it we know from neuroscience as soon as you're aware of something there's a shift in the gravitational field which we see as a shift in the qeeg which is the looking at the energy frequencies across the brain which is then showing a shift in the neuronal structure and there's a weakening of the protein bonds now that means that this is malleable and will respond to change so you can change this so that's where you can be the thought detective going from the from the symptom or the clue right down to the cause and redesign that if you don't this stays toxic and your immune system will stay in a high state of of inflammation i developed a scale which i've briefly mentioned in the book and we're publishing um got a publication coming up very soon. But it's a scale that when you, um, some of the, the, the questions that talk about anxiety at baseline will um, are significantly correlated with increases in homocysteine and um, the DHEA cortisol ratio dropping, which is an indication of high inflammation. And how that actually changes that once a person feels empowered and they start um, using the neurocycle, that changes. So I've got a scale now that actually can correlate with the QEEG and blood measures that you can literally ask a patient. So you could do that like in your practice. You could literally ask a patient that question. And if it gets whatever the score, you can be pretty sure without doing blood work that there's an inflammatory response in the brain and the body. 
So without going to the expense of doing a QEG, which is an expensive thing to do, you know, I've got I've got that data to show that this is the general pattern that will occur. So if you do this, you can change that. So you can you can track a change with a patient using the scale that I've developed called the LMM, the Leaf Line Management Scale. But and I talk briefly uh, talk about how I use that in in my, my clinical trial. But essentially, what's happening here was a was in a big picture. If I summarise this whole thing now, what you're essentially doing is you prepare the brain and the body because the brain and body need to get ready for stuff. And that's where things like meditation and breathing, tapping, havening, um, whatever you want to do. And I give a lot of examples in the book. I also have an app called the NeuroCycle app where I walk you through a sort of three-minute brain preparation exercise before you dive in. And the idea is to do the NeuroCycle for 15 to 45 minutes each day for 21 days. After 21 days, you would have embraced, processed, and reconceptualized, deconstructed, taken the energy away from this and put it into this. Energy is never lost, transferred, as you would know. Okay, and as, as the, your clinicians that are listening would know as well. So you've now, this is now gone, you've got this, but this is weak. It's small. And this is the key point where sub, patients and people, humans, get stuck. Because we work to a point where we know what we should be doing to change our life, but we can't apply it. So it's like people say this, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. But that's because you've got to go for that extra 42 days. So what I've showed is that mem memories are gamma peaks. Memory, um, neuroplastic, change, neuroplastic changes are happening all the time, but a solid change happens in around about 21 days. But to stabilize that into a habit and where behavior change occurs takes another two cycles at least of, 20, of 42 days. So it's about 63 days that we see for behavior change to be implemented. And so you, what you would do is you'd use the neurocycle for um, each day for 20, all five steps for 21 days, and then you would do just the fifth step for about a minute to seven minutes for the next 42 days. And that's where you'll see massive behavior change. So I would see patients, for example, in my clinical trial, I saw this in my practice too, so I'm just talking in, 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 across the board, is at the beginning of treatment in therapy or at starting the neurocycle without me giving you therapy, you doing it alone, what we, what that's how I did it in the clinical trial, that you don't have to be reliant on this therapist. Um, you can do this on your own and with a therapist, but you can live with yourself with this. At, um, we had um, subjects in the clinical trial, and I put two case studies in the book of them saying they are depression. So the identity was, I am depression. And we see a lot of flatline energy in the brain, low blood flow, low oxygen, very poor connection between the different structures of the brain, very low systems integration happening. And then that person to the neurocycle starts saying, hey, this start seeing, hey, this depression has a reason. And they start gathering awareness, which is the first step. They start reflecting. They start doing the writing, two writing steps, and then they do the active reach. So the five steps are gather, awareness, reflect, write, reach, check, and active reach. Each one, I have a whole table in part two explaining it. I have lots of examples and lots of applications. And in the neurocycle, I walk you through the examples. But essentially, that is training the mind the messy mind, which is the front line, the army of the front line of the army, to listen to the wise mind in a very non-judgmental way. So it's literally like you are flying a plane across this huge forest of your mind, and you, the pilot, which is the messy mind, and you, the co-pilot, which is the wise mind, and you're flying across this forest of your mind, and you see the smoke signal of depression, and you keep wanting to fly over it, and you have been flying over it, but you realize now you can't fly over it anymore. You just have to do something about it because it's consuming you. So you land your plane, but it's you and your co-pilot. So it's very non-threatening. We're going into what I call a multiple perspective advantage state. We have this powerful ability of humans to 
disconnect from ourselves, but connect. So it's stand back and observe ourselves. So you literally visualize yourself landing your, your plane at the or helicopter in the forest by that, that toxic tree. And you literally are now getting out and it's you. You use you language. You don't use I. You you use you language. So what would you like to what apple would you like to pick off that tree? In other words, what would you like to gather awareness of? What can you handle today? And there's no judgment, anything like guilt, condemnation, shame, all of those are seen as signals. So you can say, okay, there's a signal of guilt. There's a signal of condemnation. There's a signal of shame. And you pick those. So there's no, can you see there's a sense of these are helpful messengers. Currently, we see in the current narrative, as soon as you have any of those, they're toxic, they're bad, they're evil, they must be suppressed, they're symptoms of a disease. That's a terrible, unscientific and damaging narrative. It's led to people dying 18 to 25 years younger. I talk about that in the book too, that narrative. Which is frightening. Frightening. Which is really, which is really frightening. Yeah. You had mentioned, you had mentioned in the book that individuals' internal organs can actually be older than your chronological age. Absolutely. That is really, really scary, Dr. Leaf. To dovetail and really in summation, we know that through neuroplasticity, the physical brain can be changed. You have extensive work with individuals with traumatic brain injury, cognitive decline. And what we've also found in our field hearing healthcare is this term called cross-modal recruitment. And Dr. Anu Sharma and Dr. Douglas Beck actually have a Q&A on the hearing review, which I'm going to send to you. And Love to see after it. being fit, it's a phenomenal article. And after six months of consistent use of hearing instruments, there's actually been this cross-modal recruitment. Yeah, the neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. It is incre- it's an incredible article. I want to send it to you. Wonderful. But For our listeners tuned in right now, we had Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is a cognitive neuroscientist, and I'd encourage you, please, if you're on Audible, uh, purchase her book. It is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. And Dr. Caroline Leaf, having you on the Hearing Matters podcast, we are incredibly grateful for your time today. And I just want to make sure that if you have any last words to our listeners uh, to conclude today's podcast episode, uh, the floor is all yours. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you. And I can see we could have gone down many different angles and talked so deeply. And I think the biggest thing I'd love people to know is that you can change your mind. Your mind is always with you. It's your, it's the first cause. It's with your mind drives how you eat. For example, if you are worrying about something and you're eating a great, healthy, clean meal, you can lose up to 80% of that nutrition just because your mind is affecting your ability for your digestive system to function properly. You go and do a workout. If you're going to do the workout and you worked all worked up, you're going to lose a large portion, even up to also once again around about 80% of the benefit of that workout. So, you know, your mind is the benefit of, of a hearing aid. If your mind's not in it, you're going to not get the same kind of level of benefit. So mind management is absolutely key. Your mind is always working. So my my premise, my argument, my my suggestion, my encouragement and is to, to everyone is that if your mind is always working, you can either you can either stay a mess or you can clean it up. So just remember that we've got two sort of parts of our mind. And that is the messy mind, which is awake when you're awake. And it's the one that's at the front line and it's experimenting. And it's great. The messy mind, we need it because within the messiness, we are experimenting and repairing and growing. So the objective of the messy mind is to learn. It's to 
to step out there to learn something and then to see oh, that didn't work and come back and very experimental. And the, the, the objective, the way we design, the way that our optimism bias works is that we are drawn to the negative, not because we're negative, but to fix it with this experimental mind. But the messy experimental mind needs the wisdom of the wise mind. And that's what you are using right now as you're listening. It's this ability to really analyze things, to really get in touch with what you know to be the right thing. And we can develop that skill. It's a, like you can learn to play violin. It takes years to become skilled. Managing your mind is something we should teach our kids as early as we can. I have four adult children. They learned this from the age of two. My youngest patients were two. I've trained teachers in schools and worked in schools with kids from, from the age of two all the way through. I have my oldest patient was an 85-year-old. So mind is something that is always working. We can train the messy mind to work with the wise mind all the time. So if you don't train your mind, the messy mind will dominate and the wise mind will not be very, you won't be very connected. And that leads to tremendous levels of warning signals telling you, hey, you're in, there's something going on. And warning signals are the depression, the anxiety, the frustration, the irritation, the body signals of your gut ache and, and the adrenaline rushes and even physical things, heart pain, et cetera, because the more messy our mind is, the more vulnerable um, we, the environment of our brain and our body becomes to disease. In fact, unmanaged minds can increase vulnerability to disease by 35 to 98%. So we can't just forgive and forget. We can't just suppress. We have to manage our mind. So that would be my closing statement. If you if you if you recognize that your mind's always working, you think, well, I don't have the time to manage my mind. Well, it's working anyway. So either you manage it or you have it unmanaged. Unmanagement leads to a mess. So there's like kind of no, you know, there's, there's a choice. There's always a choice. But the choice is a mess or not a mess. And it's a no-brainer. So it's a no-brainer. Go with a no-mess. It's a, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just use, use the mess as a, as, a, as a powerful thing because messiness becomes great when paired with wise mind because then you're a pain, you grow. So there you go. You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaise Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs. Today, we had cognitive neuroscientist, author, and speaker, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Please go check out her newest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Until next time, hear life story. Thanks again for tuning in to the Hearing Matters podcast today. I'm your host, Blaze Delfino, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you so much for the support. Truly, it means so much to us. Head on over to the Apple Podcast app and share your thoughts. What did you like most about this episode, and what do you like most about our podcast? Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And also, head on over to Instagram, hit that follow button, and let's connect. And as a team we can continue to help our community hear life story.